From KIOS in Omaha and Exorbin Creative, you're listening to Riverside Chats. I'm Tom Noblock, and on today's show, I have a conversation, my first in-person conversation for this show since March with Nebraska State Senate candidate Terrell McKinney. The thing is just being real with each other, honest, just being honest, like, look, this is this is where I'll stand and this is where you stand, but somewhere maybe we could work, make it work in the middle. Mm-hmm. And and that's what it's all about. Every, everybody is not meant to agree with each other. There's always, this, I would hope there would be some disagreement because that's how we advance our, our society. McKinney discusses his Omaha upbringing, coming from poverty and eventually finding his way into law school and deciding to run for Senate following Ernie Chambers in District 11. Stick around for the conversation right here on Riverside Chats. And welcome to Riverside Chats. I'm Tom Noblock, and today I'm talking with Nebraska State Senate candidate Terrell McKinney. McKinney's running to represent District 11, which is currently represented by Nebraska legend Ernie Chambers. This means that McKinney would have almost uniquely large shoes to fill, as Chambers is term-limited for a second time and will be passing on the torch later this year. I speak to McKinney about the legacy of Ernie Chambers as he grew up in North Omaha, as well as his personal struggles and ultimate dedication to become part of the solution to problems he sees in Nebraska by running for office. Here is our conversation, which we did in person, which was exciting for me. I missed that. Here we go. The district that you are running to represent, I mean, just first of all, uh, you know, we're in the wake of uh, Ernie Chambers both kind of retiring, but also still being very active in the community. So, I mean, I'm curious, what has your relationship with Ernie Chambers been over the years? Um, our relationship has grown. Like, I've met him for the first time maybe, I would say, a couple years ago. Um, since I've announced my candidacy, he's been very supportive of me. Um, every time we talk, it's, it's always love and it's always how can I help you? If if you need anything, just call me. I'll be a resource for you. So our relationship has been cool to me. Well, I mean, he's just kind of this towering figure in American <laughs> culture, too. I mean, was he somebody you were aware of as you were growing up, too? Yes, you would always, growing up in North Omaha, you, you, you heard his name. If something came up and any type of issue came up, he was probably most likely the first name you would hear, call Ernie. yeah it's i mean it feels like a huge loss in one hand for ernie not to be able to be in the legislature but i mean it does open up doors right so let's go back before we get into how you're running for legislature just the beginning so i mean you're from omaha originally right yes how was your upbringing what was that like um my upbringing was it was rough i mean but it was i mean Growing up in North Omaha for for my generation was just rough. Period. Um, lived with my mom my whole life. Um, her and my father, I believe, they might have broke up or like when I was probably like five or six. So it's pretty much been me, my brother, and my sister, and my mom. My dad has been in our life though. Um, he was in and out of prison, but he's been around. But it was it's been primarily my mom and. When we were younger, my grandparents, who are not with us anymore, that we primarily spent time with them. But even so, um, we saw a lot. Like, my family was heavy into the gangs and the drugs and all that, so I saw a lot. I was a kid getting on the ground for drive-bys and things like that. I saw, seen multiple people arrested and seen some stuff that, you know, kids aren't supposed to see, but we, we saw them. Um, but it, it, it really just made me who I am today because it showed me that no matter what, no matter the circumstances you were placed in, you could persevere. Yeah. I mean, so what was it, what kind of effect was that having on you as you were a kid? I mean, how did you sort of shape a worldview from that? Um, in a way it felt normal as, as unnormal as it was, it just felt normal. It felt like life, uh, but when I started the rest, when I started wrestling at the age of ten, and then over time we started taking trips out of town, and you start seeing the world and seeing different places, and you're like, wow, like it's it's more to life than North Omaha, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that that started to open my eyes, and and my coaches were always encouraging us to be in the books and make sure that we get our education right if we ever want to go somewhere in life. So I would say. 
my eyes began to open once I started wrestling. And, and a great man, um, his name was uh, Joe Emerson. He was in a he was in a wheelchair. He uh, got injured. I wanna like I don't know what year, but he was he was uh, jumping j- trying to jump on a trampoline or something. I I believe and ended up being injured and was in a wheelchair for the rest of his life. But he was a great mentor to a lot of kids in our community. Um, and uh, Roger Parker, who was like a dad to me, coached me from the age of ten and up until I graduated high school, and we still stay in heavy contact with each other. Um, I help him out with his youth wrestling club right now just to get back. So what was the initial appeal for wrestling over other potential sports or activities? Um, one, I thought it was like WWE. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my cousins were wrestling, and Roger, my coach, he came to my house one day, and uh, asked if I wanted to wrestle. And I was like, yeah. And then the season started, and my mom took me and my brother up there, and I was wrestling ever since. It's got to be kind of an intense sport, I mean, just in the sense of I assume there's a lot of tension right before you start. You don't necessarily know how it's going to go, and it is so physical and so fast, right? I mean, was there something about that that just, I mean, I don't know, the fact that I assume I didn't. I never did wrestling. I did more of the, you know, like I did cross country when I was in high school. So uh-huh. you know, it's like drastically different. I feel like sort of energy, but uh, there's something to just that intensity where I think you're just so drawn out of whatever your problems are, whatever you're actually worried about in your normal day, where you're like you have to be 100 percent present with like a really intense sport. Whereas like cross country, you got a half hour to think about anything you want, right? Right. So I mean, was that something for you where it was, you know, I don't know, had like almost a therapeutic quality to be able to just be that focused in something? Right, it was definitely like take you away from life, honestly. When when I'm in wrestling practice, the rest of the world doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. When I'm on a mat, I, I could tune everything out. I could barely hear my coaches and they right across the, you know what I'm mean? like? It, you just get into a, some type of zone that you can't really replace. And that's what it, it was good for me because when I was younger, I would get into fights a lot just because. And wrestling kind of took whatever was having me fighting mm-hmm. and, and getting in trouble in school. That's what wrestling did for me. And uh, you were really successful at it, weren't you? Yes. I was a two-time state champ at Omaha North. I was a All-American at the University of Nebraska-Omaha until they got rid of the team. As well, and so I mean I don't know what does that tend to lead to a specific sort of career? People who are in that sort of you know succeed in that way, or did you, did you want to go to WWE? Nah, uh, <laughs> honestly, my dream job was to either be a sports agent or work in professional sports. Hmm. I have a bachelor of in, in sport business management. I was I was living in St. Louis for school. And, you know, they got sports teams there. They got the Cardinals, the Blues, and the Rams was there while I was there. And that was my dream to try to work in professional sports. Um, it didn't work out. Well, I wouldn't say it didn't work out. I just stopped pursuing it, honestly, because I got into more community work. So what's the story there? What was the change? Um, came back home, and the opportunities to work in professional sports are very limited. So you got to be creative, and you got to s- – s- and. And the other thing was I just looking at my community and just realizing that somebody had to, we we have to do better. Somebody has to step up to try to make some change. Yes, I could have been selfish and just moved away again and went somewhere with a lot of professional teams and tried to get a career there. But I also was like, I want to do whatever I can to give back to my community because individuals like Joe Emerson and Roger Parker, they gave back to me. So... I was like, I'm going to just get back and I'm going to make it work here while I'm here. So at the time when you made that decision, were there specific things going on in the community that were inspiring that choice? Or was it just a general sort of life stage? Uh, it was a general life life stage. Um, while I was in St. Louis, I kind of just started to study more. And just, you know, just get more into books and things like that and just kind of started to change my mindset of just thinking about athletics because that's mm-hmm. all I thought about was – Sports, like it was a time where I could tell you almost all the statistics about the NFL, the NBA. You sit with me, you sound like I work for ESPN, because that's what I wanted to do. Hmm. But I like just getting into books and just started to transition my mind. And then 
while I was in St. Louis, this Trayvon Martin situation happened, and that kind of, you know, got to me a lot. Um, then the Mike Brown situation happened in St. Louis. So I, was, I wasn't there for, like, the initial riots, but after they had announced that the grand jury wasn't going to, you know, move forward, I was there. So, and I and I had a and I and I, I have a friend that I wrestled with at Maryville University. He lived in Ferguson, so I would go down to Ferguson and spend time with him and his family. So I would see it and get a real feel for it. And I also started to work in Ferguson at a boys and girls club. So I was there pretty much every day, and kids would ask questions like, "What happened?" You know, and it's like, "How do you tell a kid? How do you explain that?" a police officer killed a man to a kid and make it make sense. How did you explain it? <laughs> um, dang. It was more so... I just tried to simplify and say Mike was um, leaving on his way home from a store and got into a situation when a police officer was killed. I didn't I didn't try to go deep into it cuz you know, working with kids, you don't you, you you don't want to say too much because you say too much, they go home and say it to their parent and be like, "Hey, why are you telling my kid about this?" And if the family's not speaking to him about it, I really felt uncomfortable going deep into it. Mhm. Did I mean was there any specific instances in your upbringing uh with in relation to sort of the crime that was happening around you and then the police that sort of informed anything about the worldview that you were bringing to some of these events as they were going on? Um, I remember as a kid, um, we lived in the projects um, in South Omaha. And our and our home was raided by the police. Um, they woke us up with guns in our face. I think I was eight or nine at the time. And I just remember vividly going downstairs, being walked downstairs by police and just listening to him talk to my mom like she was less than human. And that's always stuck with me. I started yelling at the police as a kid because it was just, I was crying. It just felt so wrong. Um, and there's been other instances, like just growing up in, in North Omaha, there's been times where I've been pulled over with friends, made to get out, made to get out the car, and they're asking us, do we got guns? Nobody in the car has a gun, nothing. We're honestly doing nothing, honestly. And then once they don't find a gun, they say, oh, you could go. But just that that feeling is humiliating, but it happened. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, that's one of those things where to some people, when they're faced with, I feel like, a lot of what's wrong with society right now, and what's stuff like that where it's just, like, blatantly wrong, blatantly mm-hmm. something that you can recognize. There's not a whole lot of gray area. Uh, you know, it, I feel like there's uh, you're either likely to shut off from the system or try to not work in it. And the, a lot of people get cynical and they get nihilistic and I think we're in a period where there's probably a lot of people feeling that way right now uh, where it just feels unfixable right Mm -hmm. and so I mean how did you sort of grapple with I'm sure at some point you had to confront that as well and then decide you know what whatever it takes I'm going to get in there and try to actually make things better because I believe they can get better um I just I felt I understand the the individuals that say it's no hope because I comfort like I was I was that person um but it was it was more so like I got a I have a daughter who's ten and I was like, do I want to leave more burden on her when she gets my age or do I want to try to lessen the burden? Because I don't believe these issues will be solved in one to five years. I I think because you got to dismantle sy- systems. It's gonna it's gonna be a long process, but I want to be a part of the start of the process. And I, I just, I'm not someone that wants to sit on Facebook and Twitter and complain about something. I, if I'm going to complain about it, I'm going to try to do something about it. And that's what, that's what I made my mind up about. Because I, I got to a point where I was saying stuff, but I wasn't doing anything. And it was like, somebody challenged me, like, if you're going to speak up, start doing something about it, then don't just talk. When was that? Uh, that was 2016. Okay, and so was that what led directly to the run for state legislature, or was there a, a middle period there? Um, it was more of a middle period. The the even though I got involved in community stuff, I would always say I'm not getting into politics. I'm never running for office. That's not something I want to do. 
But the more you get into it and the more you get to understand things, I just got to a point where I don't want to be knocking on the door asking another politician to fix these issues. I want to be that politician that community members can come to to fix these issues. And that's that's where I made my mind up. Um, and also I just think that in leadership in general in this state, I, it's few people that I don't even think it's nobody that come from my experience or my background in any type of office right now. Nobody that can relate to waking up with the police raiding your house, getting down on the floor because somebody driving down the street shooting at your grandma's house multiple times, um, your family smoking crack, seeing this stuff, that that stuff. I it's So for me, it was like, I want to be that person because I know it's a lot of people like me. It's not just me. It's not an isolated situation. It's a lot, it's a lot of us. If you're just joining us, I'm talking today with Terrell McKinney, who's running to represent District 11 in Nebraska's state legislature. It's a district that's currently held by Ernie Chambers, who is being term limited for a second time this year. Well, I think, you know, it's also hard unless you come from either position where, you know, you're, you're somebody who has a lot of wealth or already has, you know, some family that has some kind of inherent power in the local structure. I feel like a lot of people don't feel like they can just jump into politics. You know, I mean, it's, there almost always needs to be the, some step where it's like, you know, you can go from wanting to make a difference, you know, like through whether it's coaching or whether mm-hmm. it's some kind of com- little community steps that certainly have, you know, tangible benefits. But, um, but I mean, to get to the point where it doesn't feel like just, uh, you know, like a hope for the future, but it feels like a tangible goal that you can figure out how to do. So, I mean, like, what was the process for you of actually committing and then realizing, you know what, I think I can make this work? Um, speaking to family and friends about it, just asking, like, should I do it? Do they think I'd be vi- a viable candidate? Um, and just going, really just going back and forth with myself. Uh, usually once I tell myself I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it and try to see it through. But I, but I get that from wrestling because in wrestling, you, it's really just you, honestly. Like, Everybody could have encouraged me to run for officer, but at the end of the day, I got to make my mind up to do it, and I got to be really committed and passionate about it. So it was really my choice. Like, people always ask me, like, who who pushed you to run? I'm like, me? <laughs> like, other people say, like, oh, you, you would be good, but it was me that pushed myself. I like to challenge myself. Uh, honestly, I would say it replaces wrestling, running, running for officer, like, because it's a challenge. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, 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 all, I'm a competitive person. Um, everybody thinks I'm quiet and shy and super introverted, but I'm not. I'm really competitive. Uh, so for me, it's, it's, it's a part of that too, um, just being competitive and knowing that I, I am the individual, that individual should be elected into office. So uh, I see it as a, a great challenge to take on. I like challenging myself. Were there other challenges, I mean, between wrestling and running for office that seemed kind of insurmountable at the time, but you figured out? Um, I never thought I would finish college. Um, Never thought I would have a master's degree. Never thought I would get into law school. Like, I don't know. I just never, because growing up where I come from, we always strive to just make it to the age of 25. Um, I've had friends dying since I was in high school. So seeing people die around you and people you know, and it's, you, it's really hard to look towards the future and really think about, I could do this. It's more so I'm just trying to survive and get through the day. How can I get through the next day? So I never thought about none of this. It's, it's really, <laughs> some days I sit with myself and I'm like, dang, I'm really doing this. But I like I don't know. It was It's just trying to get out of the, getting out of the, the survivor just trying to survive mindset has been big for me but so let's before we get back let's continue to kind of build the story here so master's degree what was what was your master's degree in business administration okay and what was the plan there um i couldn't get a job in omaha okay because i have a sports management sport business management degree and when i would go to employers they would just look at the sports and not understand that it was a business degree mm-hmm. and I, I would always get that question so what do you do i'm like oh, it's, a, it's a business degree and it just was difficult to get a job uh so i was like i'm gonna just go back to school 
Maybe that was local? Midland. At was Midland. Midland. Oh, okay. So was that uh, was Ben Sass running it at that point? Uh, I think he had just, when I started, I think he had just stepped down as president, okay. I believe. Yeah, see, like, that's one of the only things I really know about Midland, but it feels like kind of this looming fact, you yeah. know, uh, like the Ben Sass School. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah uh, because they have a satellite campus here in Omaha off of, like, 114th and Dodge. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so was that a good experience for you? Yeah, it was a, it was a great experience. Um, would, did you find, I mean, going from not necessarily seeing yourself as someone who would go on to get graduate degrees uh, to then, you know, being in the place you were in, was it easier for you once you actually got into it than you would have thought? Or was it, you know, difficult? Or, I mean, I guess, what was the challenge at that point? I was, the challenge at that point was going to school and still having bills. Oh, yeah. Still, <laughs> I got a kid and still trying to make it work. And asking myself, should I really be doing this? I said, that's that's the biggest thing is just trying to look at the long term benefit of going to school and not think about like right now I need to pay these bills and just trying to just motivate myself to just say, hey, this do this now and it'll pay off later. Mm-hmm. It was law school something that was on your mind at all at that point. I mean, were you like thinking, should I be in law school instead of getting this master's program or going to the master's program? No, wasn't on my mind. Um, law school kind of came to my. I started working at Nebraska Appleseed, and it's a bunch of lawyers, mm-hmm. and um, just started to think about law at that time. Uh, and I just was still having a tough time getting getting employment in Omaha. Honestly, even with the uh, MBA, it's still still tough. Uh, so I was like. What do I do next? I enjoy my 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 time at Nebraska Appleseed, but I knew that I had to make a decision for my future, and it was like go to law school. Uh, I, I in the like when I when I was at UNO, it was brought it, it was brought up to me because I was like I want to be a sports agent, and I met somebody, and it was like you know most sports agents are lawyers or have law degrees or whatever, and I was like oh for real, but I never never thought about it after that, but. Now, after just working at Appleseed, I was just I was just like, hmm, might as well just study for the LSAT and see if I could see if I could do it. It was the worst test in the world, but <laughs> uh, I'm, it was it was okay. Well, I mean, did did people say like did they encourage you when you were younger to be a lawyer or like when you were in college at least? Just because you seem like someone who has opinions on things and tries to understand how structures work and maybe tries to share opinions right which i feel like anybody who kind of has that thinky quality but also is decent at making arguments it's sort of like well you should just be a lawyer then (laughs) no um but i've always been the type of person that if something if i'm passionate about something i will speak up and tell you how i feel uh but no it was you know just i don't know it wasn't really no encouragement to go to law school I'm talking today with Terrell McKinney, who is running to represent District 11 in Nebraska's state legislature. Stick around after the break for the rest of our conversation right here on Riverside Chats. If you're a fan of Riverside Chats and want to see the show not only continue but expand in new spinoff shows including a film club, a book club, and a news roundup, please consider becoming a Patreon at patreon.com slash riversidechats. For as low as just $1 a month, you get access to exclusive audio as well as our full backlog of episodes. Our most recent 50 are always free. Older than that goes behind the paywall. So you get that plus exclusive content over at patreon.com slash riversidechats. Please consider becoming a patron today. Hello? Wanna be a munchie boy? Listen to Omaha's new goofy food podcast, The Munchie Boys. Every week, we get food from a different local restaurant. Let's go. We munch. Yes, there is munch. And talk about the experience. What we got. Where did we go? We're still there. Two boxes of food. In lighthearted banter. I just jammed the rest of the Mediterranean in my mouth. Meatball-based items. In a way that is both zany. This is going to be crazy. We might end up throwing up. And fun. My hands are burning. Hell yeah. Every episode features an exclusive song. Where we sing about our weekly adventures and feature a different analog synth. It's a synth model. Play the track now. Now, yeah, we yeah, yeah. It sounds like haha, bro. Check out Munchie Boys on Spotify, YouTube, streaming or streaming, and most other digital outlets. Uh, Munchie, 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 Munchie Boys. Munchie Boys.
And welcome back to Riverside Chats. I'm Tom Noblock, and today I'm talking with Terrell McKinney, who is running to represent District 11 in Nebraska's state legislature. The district has previously been held by local legend Ernie Chambers, who is being term limited again this year. So you're in law school, and you've got a kid, and like you've got a lot of practical concerns, and you're running for office, so you must be very busy. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> How has the pandemic affected all of that? Um, I really dislike the pandemic. Um, it, I don't know. I feel as though my advantage is and still it was and still is just getting in front of people. And because of the pandemic, you can't really do too much in-person mm-hmm. uh, interactions. So, I mean, it's, but it's assisted in just being more creative and just finding ways to get in front of people. I think the pandemic is like a gift and a curse. I think in a way, our society was just way too comfortable in our own bubbles. And the pandemic is forcing us to get out of our bubbles and really be creative on how we're going to motivate ourselves, how are we are going to make life work, period. Because what we did in the past is not going to work for the future. Well, it's, I mean, in your situation, I imagine it's both somewhat inspiring and terrifying because there's not really a playbook for how to run a political campaign it's without... Not you know, talking to people in person. Right. So, I mean, uh, you've had to adapt, I assume, by just doing a lot of online sort of video conferencing and just, you know, reaching out, I don't know, through emails. And I mean, there was that online component to a campaign, but it must also feel like, I don't know, am I doing enough? Am I doing it right? And there aren't really answers for that right now, are there? No, because prior to the pandemic, people would tell you that just doing stuff online won't get you elected. Right. (laughs) So... For me, it's it's just been just trying to think outside the box and figure out how can we still win this election but be as safe as possible. And so, okay, the the issues that you decided to run on, because, I mean, so you're, you're feeling, I mean, you're sort of stepping into the shadow of Ernie Chambers, right? So that must kind of be something that you, you've got his legacy, his interests, and in the like what worked for him is something you know kind of, you know, how to tap into that to some extent, right? But then you got to bring your own flavor to it. And then, you know, there are other people running in it. So, I mean, what were the primary issues that you thought were important to bring to the fore and that you would be able to advocate best for uh, um, your constituents through? Um, Primary issues, um, economic equity and opportunity. Um, We chose that because when you look at my community, um, a lot of small businesses and entrepreneurs don't make it. They might open up, but they don't survive. The survival rate is not high. Um, we have a lot of we have a lot of small a lot of small businesses in our community, but they lack the education and the resources and the capital to be sustainable. And I don't believe in going to the legislature and trying to recruit big firms and big corporations to come inside. I think if we build up our small businesses, that's the that's the best way. Start from the ground because you lessen the chance of your small business leaving the community if you if it grows there. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, you bring in a corporation 10 years from now, they're like, "Hey, not making enough money in Omaha, we're going to leave or you know what I mean? or some type or they get or they merge or something and leave." So, just that then uh Criminal justice reform, because as I stated prior, like I've been heavily affected by the criminal justice system my whole life, and I have friends and family and still in our state penitentiaries and and in our county jail. And I believe that we have to do more about the criminal justice system. It's it's there's too many people staying inside way too long. we also have to look at reentry and make sure that when individuals are released from prison and in our jails, they are set up for success. There's no reason somebody, should, in my opinion, there's no reason somebody should sit in jail for five plus years and come out with a hundred dollars still looking for a job in housing. Like you said, you were in jail for five years, and if we are rehabilitating individuals and trying to make sure that they don't return, let's make sure when they get out. A, have a job, B, have housing, C, have transportation, D, health care. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Just making sure that people are set up for success. And that's not happening right now. Well, and, uh, it's interesting. I mean, I'm curious what your relationship is with the political parties because, I mean, you, I mean, 
you're in a district that is pretty much at odds with a lot of the you know red Nebraska. Certainly at odds with the agenda of Pete Ricketts. Mm-hmm. So I mean, do you have a specific relationship with being a Democrat? I mean, is that something that I mean, I don't know. Uh, I guess I always kind of ask politicians who come on the show because I'm I'm critical of the two party system. I don't really see. I mean, I see some of the advantages, but overall, like. To me, I don't really get why two is better than like six parties. Or I mean, in a perfect world, I feel like it'd be great to have no parties and people could actually talk about issues. <laughs> but I'm curious. I mean, where do you fall on all that issue? On all of that? Um, I'm registered Democrat, um, part of the Nebraska Democratic Black Caucus. Uh, but also, um, community first before anything. Uh, when, once it, it, that, that's what it comes down to. Me. It doesn't matter if I'm a Democrat. If an issue is affecting my community. Then I'm gonna speak on it. Is it? I mean, do you find that the party system is it useful? Mm. Is it useful? <laughs> yes and no. Okay. Because you, you you said it's you have two parties, and a lot of people fall independent and want a party, but there's there's no party to uh, really identify with, so they're kind of stuck between the two. And I think at times when the lines are drawn, the issues aren't worked on and not mm-hmm. fixed because you got this opinion over here and you got this opinion over here. And if you stand right here, nothing nothing works. And we're stuck in a situation to where people are struggling. But because we have a two-party system, the help isn't coming mm-hmm. as, as fast as it should be. Yeah, and I mean, I, Nebraska, I think, is so close to almost making it work because, like, I love the idea of the unicameral. Right. I think that makes a lot of sense. But at the same time, just based on the last couple months, it seems like a lot of people in our legislature and our governor are much more interested in making it very partisan as opposed mm-hmm. to embracing what is unique and should work better about a unicameral system. Definitely. I think at the end of the day, it shouldn't matter whether I'm a Democrat or somebody's a Republican or or whatever. It's about helping people. That's what I think public officials are supposed to do is help people. Um, You can't be so closed-minded that you can't see that help is needed over here and vice versa. Um, Because it's, I don't know, I just look at the unit camera and I'm like, man, like, when you watch those, uh, when you watch the live stream, it's just like, man, like, some of these people just don't get it and they're not willing to even listen to get it. Right. Which is sad. Yeah. Well, I mean, so as far as you know, kind of going back to just like stepping into the Ernie Chambers role here, do you see yourself as being someone who would go after, you know, like, uh, you know, obviously Ricketts and Chambers have kind of a complicated, maybe not even that complicated relationship, but a very public relationship, a uh, contentious relationship. I mean, is that something where you would see yourself sort of uh, following suit? Would you be someone who would go after some of the big people in the state, or would it be more important to you to stay, you know, local to the district? Or, you know, how do you see the role evolving for the representative in your district? Um, anybody that's in a way of the advancement of my community and the betterment of my, of my community, I'm going to speak up and talk about. It doesn't matter if it's the governor. It doesn't matter if it's somebody on the city council. If if you if, if you are saying something or doing something that's negatively affecting my community, Terrell is going to say something about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've seen, uh, you know, you know, Ernie Chambers out still. I mean, he's right. he's out there every day, he very publicly. Pro- yeah, I think he was protesting today outside the governor's office. Yeah, I mean, so, <laughs> and, and that's, I think he puts in more hours doing some of that than a lot of the other representatives uh, in the state. So, I right. mean, I guess as far as some of the logistics of being the state legislature, I'm always curious. So, you'd still be in law school, right? So, I mean, is the idea eventually to try to juggle a law firm sort of responsibility of some sort with being a state senator? Um, so for like once I'm elected in January and I start in January, um, I'm going to take a break from law school. Okay. But over the summer, probably in the fall, I'll take some courses just to not be in law school for 20 years. You know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) But once the session is in, I'm full time legislator and I'll make it work. Well, I mean, I I wonder if maybe that'd be good to have representatives because I mean, we have so many issues where, uh, 
the people who represent the country don't look like the country in so many ways. And even just like being somebody connected to like you're in, whether it's law school, whether it's any kind of school, right? It's, there's not a whole lot of people who actually are in office who have a you know specific understanding of what it's like to be in law school right now. You know, like they, we went to law school probably at some point. You know, a lot of them are lawyers. But, I mean, does that give you a, a different perspective because you're not like an established person with, uh, you know, a, a completely – set up professional life. I mean, you're somebody coming at it, you know, sort of in the stage of getting there. And I assume that that impacts your worldview a little bit differently. Yes, because a lot of the issues that we'll be speaking on in the legislature will affect me. Mm-hmm. Right. So, yes, I, th- I think it's a, it's a whole different perspective, uh, if not affecting me directly, indirectly. And like I said, like I still have family that live in poverty, like extreme poverty. And I get calls and see it every day, so it's all still real for me. It's not like I went to school, got all these degrees, and I'm just just isolated from what's going on. Yeah, I, I get the sense that that would be a, a helpful thing for a lot of people in the legislature. So yeah. have you talked to anybody in the state legislature who's currently uh, elected other than maybe Ernie Chambers just to kind of get a sense of, like, it seems like this was a really uh, – contentious and often unproductive session that they just had. And so I would imagine a lot of people would like it not to be that way as the new normal. And so, I mean, do you have any strategies, maybe advice that you've heard from people about where to go from here that's a little bit more productive? Um, The biggest thing I I always hear when I talk to senators um, is understand the rules and the process. As you understand the rules and the process, it's not, that doesn't mean it's it's going to be easy, but you'll it, you can navigate it better because these issues are hot topics. A lot of them, they, they, the last seven days was a bunch of hot topics that, that were discussed. So it's never going to be easy when you're discussing things like that, but as long as you understand the rules and the process, you'll have a better shot at getting what you need done. Well, then it's a lot of, I assume, learning how to talk with people who disagree with you or won't listen to you like we talked about before right Right. it's not always like we'd love to romanticize it where it's just a lot of people who disagree about specifics about how to deal with issues but it's not really that simple and i and i and i tell people that i wrestled and i was on teams with people that were from the most rural communities in 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 our country you know what i mean that got completely different perspectives on life than me but we were able to communicate and have decent relationships we may not have agreed on some things and we agreed on other things and you just the thing is just being real with each other honest just being honest like look this is this is where I'll stand and this is where you stand but somewhere maybe we could work make it work in the middle mm-hmm. and and that's what it's all about I, every everybody is not meant to agree with each other there's always this I would hope there would be some disagreement because that's how we advance our our society but you also have to come to some type of middle ground and some type of commonality to make sure that you're getting things done to help both our communities. Do you see Nebraska, uh, whether it's through shifting demographics or just difference in sort of trends of political, I don't know, uh, political alignment, do you think Nebraska is changing in major ways? Do you see a future where it's not the sort of stereotypically red state with a couple blue dots in it? Or what do you see for the future? Um that's tough. Uh, I know the demographics in rural Nebraska is changing, um, but you still get the same individuals in office. Uh, Omaha is changing. I don't know. It's a huge part of me feel like our state is always last to the party with a lot of stuff, and it's sad sometimes. Um, it's, it's a lot of stuff that I look at in other states, like, man, like I wish we could do that in Nebraska. But it's, it's an uphill battle all the time with with everything. Um, I'm optimistic, though. I believe there's a lot of a lot of individuals in our in our communities that want to see change and will do whatever they can to make sure the change happens. So I'm optimistic, but up to now, I feel as though like Nebraska has been like in the middle, like the the, the dark ages on a lot of stuff. But we'll see. Yeah, I mean, it's it's something where I feel like a lot of people who don't already go along with, you know, the the traditional views of most of the state, unless they have family or were raised here, it doesn't feel like there's a lot of draw to, you know, Omaha at this point or Nebraska at this point. And so, I mean, that, that sort of is both the inspiration for change, but then also sort of like this fact you just have to 
grapple with somehow. I think that the 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 thing that our state is going to have to do, we're going to have to reinvent ourselves because of just like talent going to other states to work, kids graduating college here and just leaving because of the lack of lack of opportunities. Um, we're going to have to grow somewhere and we're going to have to look to new opportunities to grow our state. Um, and, and that's the only way. We can't be stuck in the 1960s and it's 2020. We have to think forward. That doesn't mean you can't be conservative or you it that that doesn't mean just hacks your uh your values or whatever, but if we stay in the same place, our state will not get better. What kind of opportunities do you see as uh, ways to sort of reverse that course? Um, I would say look at legalizing cannabis um especially for our agriculture. Um, I think it's going to be legal in our country, no matter who's the president, in about three to five years anyway. So why not get ahead of the curve? Um, also, um, I don't, I really don't understand why gambling is illegal in the state of Nebraska uh, when most of the revenue that, that is accounted for in Council Bluff comes from Omaha or some part of Nebraska. Uh, and those things like that. Um, and also rethinking mass incarceration we always hear that our state doesn't have money or we strap for resources but we continue to lock up people in mass and keep them locked up in mass and it's like you know if you release some of these people the burden on the state will lessen we would have more resources to devote to other services and a part of that is making sure that we devote the right resources to making sure individuals get out and are set up for success, and which we're not doing right now. I don't think building another prison is going to help our problem at all. It's just going to create, it's not going to create nothing new. It's just going to enhance the problem that's already there. Well, so that's a topic that I think uh, it's, it's probably worth asking. I mean, what is it that you see driving the decision to keep incarceration as high as it is and to keep building more prisons as opposed to making those changes? Um, the whole tough on crime stuff, that, that philosophy, uh, the lack of just understanding of that we, we can't say we're the greatest country on earth, but continue to have, when you look at almost every community across this nation that's impoverished, it's a black or Latino community, that if, if we don't start addressing poverty like we're supposed to, or we should have been, then it's going to continue to drive it because most people I know that's in the streets don't want to be in the streets. Most people that I know have committed crimes don't didn't want to commit that crime, um, but they're but they're stuck in a box. It's like I get pulled over for a random reason, end up with a misdemeanor, and go to apply for a job, and they tell me no, but I still got kids to take care of. And the only job I could get is McDonald's, and it pays $9 an hour or something. Even if I work 40 hours a week, I cannot afford to live or take care of my kids. So what are you supposed to do? I'm not saying go out and commit crime, but that's the choice that we are leaving people with. Well, and, I mean, what what is the roadblock, though, between addressing those issues and let's just keep building prisons? Um, The roadblock? Uh huh. I would say the roadblock is just not one to really address the elephant in the room that this country has oppressed our communities for for centuries and have done little to nothing to assist us in in overcoming those. Uh, in overcoming this, um, you hear the term pull yourself up by your bootstrap, and it's like, okay, we were thrown off plantations with no shoes. Where was the boots going to come from? How are we, how are we going to pull up ourselves by a bootstrap that didn't exist? And it's been that way. And, I mean, I find that it seems to me that the amount of protests and political activism that's happening right now 
is drawing attention to real issues, is inspiring people to both get involved, to learn, to educate themselves. But at the same time, that also is being, uh, you know, weaponized as apparently every big city is on fire and destroyed right now. And there right. is no there is no structure of government anymore. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, I, maybe you can talk about your relationship with uh, just civil disobedience, protest uh, and just the way that some of those big movements actually change opinions and can sort of shift the opinions of the country. Um, I love it. Um, honestly, before everything had happened, what was it, in the beginning of June, I was kind of skeptical if we could, if something like that would occur in Omaha or just even in Nebraska, and I was surprised, but, because I was seeing it across the country, you, you, we've seen it over the years, and just almost everywhere, but we had a protest here, but it didn't get to that point that it got to, and so, I mean, I love it, and I hate, and I, I love it, but it has to be strategic. It's like, what is the plan? Are, are we just gathering to gather, or are we gathering to really demand something to, to get some change to happen? In the 60s, they had a plan. It was boycotting the buses for a purpose, and it worked. We The, the thing now is to make sure that there's a real plan and we can really move the needle. You, I don't think we should just be protesting a protest. It has to be strategic and planned out. But I, I, I love the energy, though. Like, I really think it's great, and I support them. Well, I, I guess the question I have, though, is, so I think when it's not planned, it's not necessarily that the intention is to be causing destruction so much as I think, you know, I think no. we could all agree that there are people who just have a lot of anger and rage right. at what's happening and this you know the, there's got to be some kind of outlet for that right right and so i mean like would you be advocating then for in some cases it does seem to be very organized in other cases i mean is it something where there should be more structures for what to do with those feelings and um, an outlet i wouldn't i don't want like i don't want to sound super critical of them because i'm not because i support them and i know a lot of the individuals that have been organizing these rallies and i know they're putting their best foot forward so that's not to say that they're not organized and have a strategic plan. Um, but I think it has to be, I don't know. I just, for me, it's like, what is the ask? What are we asking? What are we asking for? Um, I know it's been to defund the police and it's been other things, but I don't know. Like, And, and we saw the response we got from, from the city. So, I mean, honestly, in a way, what they're doing is what they have to do because it, I don't see another solution to it besides doing what they're doing because if you let up for a second, the powers that be feel like they, they've won or nothing is really needed to be, be changed. So I would say, I mean, it just... For me, it just has to be strategic. Just make making sure that's strategic in all aspects of it. But well, I, I think that makes complete sense for uh, someone who's a state senator. And so, like the idea is, you take what you're hearing and how do you find a legislative solution for it, mm-hmm. right? So, I mean, as far as some of the things that are being protested, do you have a specific legislative solution you think would be effective? Um, okay, uh, I would say as far as like the defund the police conversation, I'm all for reallocation of um, resources back to communities that need it. Um, I think it's it's wild that a city will only would only devote $20 million to community and 162 to police. Um, I don't feel as though we need that many cops in the first place. When you drive to West Omaha, you don't see them. But in my community, you see them every other corner. And then they complain about crime, like, oh, the crime rate is going up, shootings are happening. I'm like, but you you guys are literally on every street corner and every block. I see y'all all day. How, my thing is, how can you devote all these resources to the police, only give 20 to community, but still complain about crime? It makes no sense. I would say devote more resources, even, even if it was equal, say we split it down the middle, 80 million to community, 80 million to police, I would almost guarantee you things would get better. And that, I guess, is that, 
that seems like a big uphill struggle in Nebraska. So, I mean, how do you <laughs> how do you do some of that though? How do you get tangible results from um, that? You gotta start small. Honestly, I'm I'm a realistic person. I know saying cut it in half is more than likely not gonna happen in the state of Nebraska. Uh, so start small um, and stay organized. Uh, so as a as a senator, I would just come up with legislation to that that that's simple and kind of to the point and you try to bring everybody to the table and work and say hey look we recognize this problem is here how can we improve this we can't keep saying lock people up send them to prison because it hasn't worked I'm 30 and I've grew up in the age of mass incarceration when it was really boosting it didn't work because when I look outside people still going to jail people still getting shot we still super poor here people still on drugs that didn't help let's let's make sure that we're addressing poverty not just addressing crime and just leaving out poverty I, are, are there any other big issues as we kind of run out of time here that we didn't address that you want to make sure people know about you and about your campaign um i would say that i'm present and, and my goal has always been been to be present and to do whatever i can to let people know that I'm I'm the person that they should vote for in, in November. Um, I was present before I started running. I was doing a lot of community work, and I'm still going to be that person. Um, and, and my campaign is for the people, for a reason. Terrell McKinney for the people, because that's what I'm for. I'm putting nothing above or below them. Well, nothing above them. So when I say that, I'm just saying, like, you don't honestly have to worry about me placing – any party or any person or any amount of monetary whatever somebody would say they would give me over people like I'm for people first and and if I if I lose I lose but I'm be for the people <laughs> at the end of the day well I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me today this has been great getting to know you and some of what you stand for here uh, no problem thank you for having me Terrell McKinney is currently running to represent District 11 in the Nebraska State Legislature We're approaching election season, which means that we are going to start to replay some of our political conversations from throughout the year. And I also have a new one with Kara Eastman coming up. I'm hoping to get some others as well. We'll see what ends up happening as we get closer to November. Riverside Chats is produced in conjunction with KIOS and Exarvin Creative. Our original music is written and performed by The Real Zebos. Our artwork is done by Ben Matukowicz. Please subscribe to the show wherever you get podcasts. And while you're there, if you can give us a review, it really helps us get the show out to additional audiences. I'm Tom Noblock. Thank you so much for listening.